0: This morning we're carrying on in the book of Philippians, and we're in Philippians 2, verse 19 to 30, if you want to turn there. But I want to start by saying this. As we've talked about this before, I think one of the biggest objections to Christianity and the church is, sadly, Christians. And I don't mean the legitimate, Christ-like, godly people. I don't mean amazing Christians. I mean men and women. declare something with their mouths, who profess to follow Jesus, but live lives that look so completely different to him and what he stood for and is like. I'm talking about hypocrites or Pharisees or self-righteous judgmental frauds. And somehow it seems that even among people who don't follow Jesus, who don't go to church, who aren't interested in the Bible or don't know what it says, that still somehow innately people seem to know what it a christian should look like what a christian should do and also the way a christian should do that you know in an atmosphere of grace and love hence the really famous quote from Mahatma Gandhi that you might have heard before and he was not a christian even though he like, was very interested in christianity he said i like your christ i do not like your christians your christians are so unlike your christ So, a really big burn on the church Sadly, today the church doesn't necessarily have a truth problem, but it does have a reputation problem. And that is our responsibility as the church, as we spoke about last week, to shine the light of Jesus into the world through our lives. You know, we are called to represent him well in our spheres of influence and to be good examples of God and the gospel as we live out our everyday lives. And that's what Paul is going to be speaking to us about tonight. In fact, he's finishing off a line of thought that he began in Philippians 1 that ends here at the end of Philippians 2. So let's read this all together from verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father and therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because he heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason i'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and i may be less anxious therefore welcome him in the lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of christ risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me now a lot of commentators joke about this section and say this is no one's favorite part of the book of philippians and here's why at surface level Paul is writing here about travel plans and he's kind of sharing community updates, you know, the kind of thing we would do on a Sunday before the sermon. He's talking about the guest preachers who are going to be visiting the church soon. He's telling them a little bit about their bios and a little bit about their story. So, actually, this is not like the meat of a sermon. This is the kind of stuff that you would expect before the sermon, and this is the kind of thing that we could skip over. But you have to read this in the context of Philippians as a whole. So, why is this important? Well, in verse 19, Paul writes, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. The Philippian church don't know how Paul or Epaphroditus are doing. They could both be dead. you know. The last they heard, Paul was in prison and Epaphroditus is really sick. They haven't had an update on either of them. And also, Paul doesn't have an update on the church. He's sitting in prison desperate to know about this community of people that he loves, to know how they're doing, to know how the church is, how individuals are. And he's got no way of knowing except via letter or a messenger. Now, technology has changed all of that for us. So, for example, this week, I live in a block of nine flats And in that block, one of the people went missing this week. Uh, No one knew where they were. Their car was there. uh, No one had been told that they were going to be away. Their domestic worker came to clean their apartment and they they couldn't get in. They, They weren't let in by anyone. They couldn't get hold of them on the phone. People from the block were calling and texting with no answer. And when I heard this, what I did is I reached out to a friend. I got this guy's brother's number. I messaged the brother. The brother voice noted me back within a minute or two. And I knew that this guy was in hospital, that he was actually quite sick, that he was fine, but he was quite sick. And I was able to message this guy and see how we could help him in any way. All within about five minutes, we knew what was going on and I could tell the block that this guy was fine. It's an amazing thing. Technology is a real gift to us. Or maybe more amazingly, this week, probably the big news has been the united states elections and just waiting to see who will be the next president of america and what we've been able to do on like real time on google or facetime or oh, man i'm getting these all of these names wrong social media all of these things is we've been able to refresh and in real time we've been able to know who's leading and in what state and what the numbers and percentages are and who it looks like will be the next president which is amazing at the same time as all of this is going on in real time, I've been WhatsApping friends of mine who live in different parts of the US, seeing how they're doing and how their churches are doing and what the mood is in those parts of the world, and just being able to hear back from them instantly. It's such a gift. Now, this was not Paul's reality, and this is pretty new to our world and our lives too. Like, It's hard to imagine a world where we couldn't do that. But I've been watching a bit of Friends recently. Shell's not interested in that at all. But i really have enjoyed watching friends again often like while i'm feeding august in the morning but friends ran from 1994 to 2004. i remember watching it kind of on the evenings it came out back in the day on mnet or whatever channel it was on and you know what stands out to me now watching this show that was really progressive set in new york like one of the cooler most cutting-edge cities in the world is that watching this show in the 90s they don't have cell phones they don't have social media and they don't have the ability to communicate instantly which is crazy to me now you know if they wanted to get hold of one another or make plans or see each other either they picked up a landline which had a cord which tied to that box you know that phone box that you had or they would go and find each other either at monica and rachel's apartment or at central perk the coffee shop they went to And I watch this and I think how funny it is that they can't just quickly send off a text and find each other and meet up. The other funny thing is that if they meet someone that they like and want to date, they've got no social media, that they can do a little bit of a background check, like a little bit of a stalk, find out what they do, look through their pictures, find out who they've dated, or any of those things, they just can't do that. They need to get to know this person face-to-face, and if they have any mutual friends, ask about them. And it's crazy, our world has changed so much over the last few years. So Paul's sending this letter to Philippi, to the church there, Back in the day, this was high-tech, cutting-edge urban communication at its finest 2,000 years ago. This was the best way for the Philippian church to communicate with Paul and vice versa and for them to find out how each other were doing. This was also the best way for Paul to pastor them and other churches when he was away from them. But I want you to think, imagine in an emergency time, and we see this in uh, the letters that Paul sent to the church in Corinth. Now we've got two in our Bible, First and Second Corinthians. They reckon Paul wrote four letters to that church. There were some crazy situations going on. So that church would send letters to Paul Paul would get them, Paul would write back thoughtfully, prayerfully over time, write back a letter and send it to them. And days, weeks or months later, they would get this letter and be able to see his response. You know, this is not an instant microwaveable society kind of situation. This was slow and drawn out. And reading that, I think we have to see the privilege we have of technology. And to think to ourselves, you know, technology is not good or bad. It's how we use it that is good or bad but to think to ourselves, how can we best use the technology we have to advance God's kingdom? Which is kind of what we're doing right now, doing church at home like this. Now, normally, Paul would include this kind of passage at the end of his letter. You know, after he's said all the meaty things, after he's gotten through all the good content, he talks about people, he talks about plans, he gives them some updates, and he says, cheers, grace and peace to you. But he decides to include this here because of the line of thought, the argument he's been building, and now including Timothy and Epaphroditus as living examples of what he's been trying to say makes so much sense here. So let's rewind for a bit of context. In Philippians 1 verse 27, we said this was the central, most important scripture in this letter. Paul writes and says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Remember what we said about this, that for these people, they were living a new way. They had a new king, were part of a new kingdom, and trusted in a different gospel. And these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they model this. They are exemplary to the church of this. And then in Philippians 2, Paul's carried on. He said this in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish, ambition, or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And Paul is writing here and saying, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. This is uh, actually what we should embody. This is how we should live, as he writes in Philippians 2. He's speaking about how we work out our salvation. He's talking about shining like stars in this world. He's talking about holding firm to the gospel. And on top of doing this, Paul gives us this incredible passage from verse 5 to 11 about Jesus, our example. You know, Jesus who shows us what it looks like to be God and to serve people, you know, who came down from heaven to earth to die on the cross for us. And he shares this with us so that we would be in awe of Jesus and that we would imitate him. Paul's building a case here. And now he gives us this example of Timothy and Epaphroditus for us to learn from and follow and emulate what it means to be disciples of Jesus and citizens of heaven in Durban or Philippi today. Now, as we continue, I want you to think, do you have any amazing Christian examples in your life? You know, people you've learned from. And this is really important because... Me, for instance, saying Philippians 1 verse 27 is is key, you know, live as citizens of heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel, all of that stuff. Go and do it. That's important. It's clear. It makes sense. But it is more theoretical than concrete. You know, it's actually helpful for us to have an idea fleshed out as we see in the lives of other people. Because Philippians 1 verse 27 doesn't speak into our Monday morning. Or a Wednesday afternoon or like your latest business deal or the, the meetings you're having or a situation of conflict you find yourself in or a moment where like you're getting cross and your temper is rising and you know you shouldn't act out but you're about to you know it doesn't speak into any of that but to say live out the gospel like Timothy and Epaphroditus who you know is a different story you know this church in Philippi knew them They'd been an example to them. They'd seen them live out the faith. They'd probably been to their homes, had meals with them around their table, knew their marriages, knew their kids, knew how they handled money, how they communicated with people, how they treated people different to them. That They'd spent time with these people and seen the gospel lived out or applied. They'd, they'd seen the faith lived out through their lives. So the Philippian church have already seen and experienced in four dimensions what it looks like to do this stuff. And when I think about this, I think of people in my own life who've been massive examples to me of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a citizen of heaven here in Durban. You know, when I was 18, I joined Red Point Church and I went to a life group for the first time. You know, it was on a Tuesday night. It was next door to my house. The guy who led it was someone that I'd actually known for quite a while. He coached me in water polo. And as I got to know this guy in this group, I was marked by certain strengths or gifts of his. You know i was really excited about jesus i had a lot of questions i was reading the bible and every week i would go there early and leave late and just pepper him you know pepper literally just question after question after question and this guy would answer them for me he he knew the bible well he he'd point me to scripture he'd help me to understand what it looked like to about the faith and he was also generous I mean this might seem like a silly example to you but I remember one Saturday our group all going to Spriggs a coffee shop in Kloof and going there and having I don't know milkshakes and brownies or whatever we had and at the end of that time this guy went and settled the bill now that might not seem like a big deal But I was a poor student at the time, you know, and i would never seen this. I'd never experienced someone just pay for everyone when they didn't have to. You you know, why why would he do that? We could all pay our own bills. Why would he pick up the cost? But this guy had been marked by the generosity of God. You know, he'd seen how freely God had given him so much in Jesus. And now he wanted to be generous to us. And and that moment has stuck with me. Or I could tell you about one of the guys in that group, Jamie Tennant who actually ended up becoming uh, one of my youth leaders. He he led the youth that I was a part of. He's also one of the pastors in the church at Red Point. And we started to spend a lot of time together. He became a good friend. On top of that, like we were at university together. So we prayed together a lot at Varsity. And spending time with Jamie, I was marked by three things. there's a priority of prayer. was a love for the bible and it was actually just such a value of christian books and jamie just would talk about these things and i just got excited about the stuff he was excited about so we would hang out and we would pray together you know during the week or at night or, or or whenever it was And he would always just have a Bible with him and he'd be able to answer tough questions and point me to passages in the scripture and say, this is why I'm saying that, you know. He he wasn't just giving me his opinion. He was showing me how the Bible taught what he was saying. And then we would go to secondhand bookstores, and he would talk about A.W. Tozer or Charles Spurgeon or A.W. Pink. And we would look for these books, and for five or ten or twenty Rand, we would get these secondhand copies. And I would start to read some of these Christian classics, and my theology and understanding of the ways of God would grow. I was marked by his devotion to God. I could tell you about Nicardi, who led Redpoint. um, i was on his eldership team i was on staff he was my boss for a couple of years and i remember watching this man's example you know he'd walked with god for probably 40 years maybe a little bit more and i remember watching him in so many different situations Being, being in these pastoral situations where i felt so out of my depth And just watching him with wisdom and articulation and grace and truth ask questions and challenge and rebuke and encourage and and build people up and point them to Jesus masterfully. And I learned a ton from him. I watched him as a leader walk through hard leadership situations and just hold on to Jesus and the truth and do what needed to be done. And he was a prophetic man. He would always point us to God and say, what is God saying by the Spirit and through his word? Or I could tell you about Andy Rogers, who's a newer friend. I've only known him for about seven years, who every time I'm around him, I feel like he is just going forward into the things of God. He's growing, he's changing, he's training himself for godliness, like we said last week. He's seeing areas of sin and weakness in his life and he's he's dealing with them. He's growing intentionally and going forward been amazed by his gospel ambition you know his desire to see the kingdom of God advance but at the same time his humility I don't think anyone has ever apologized to me and been as vulnerable with me as he has and it's impacted me in terms of the grace and forgiveness of God and I share those examples in my life because I want to say who are the people that you are looking up to who are the mentors or examples in your life of people who are helping you to live out your faith or impacting you in different ways And then who are you being an example to? And is your life a good example of the ways of God? In this passage, Paul gives us two examples that we can learn from Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says this in verse 20 to 22. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. You see, Paul and the Philippian church knew what Timothy was like. Since Acts 16, when Paul first went to Philippi, Timothy was there. They've known him since the beginning and they've gotten to watch his life. You know, Timothy has traveled and ministered with Paul. So Paul knows him well, but the Philippian church have also gotten to spend time with him in a bunch of circumstances and they know Timothy well. They've seen his life, his example, his Christ-likeness. They've seen his genuineness, his humility, and his compassion. They've seen him walk through hard seasons of life. So he's proven himself. He's, he's proven his, his uh, Christ-likeness to them. They know that he's a good example. They know what kind of man he is. And Paul describes him this way in verse 20, as having genuine care. Now I wanted to just highlight this for a second because authenticity is so big in our culture at the moment. You want to be authentic and real and all of that. And here Paul says, you know, Timothy is authentic. He he authentically or genuinely cares about you. He's not faking it. He He's not pretending. He really cares about the church and its people. When he served these people, he wasn't just putting on a facade. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't being a hypocrite. He was doing it out of the heart of God that he had received, pouring out God's love towards them. And Paul carries on in verse 21 and says, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, what struck me about this is Paul is saying here that Timothy shows a genuine Christ-like care for people, while everyone else, everyone else just cares for themselves. And that's so challenging you know it's also a bit of an orky porks comment because everyone reading this knows timothy and it's like paul is saying timothy does this the rest of you don't i was also thinking of epaphroditus taking this letter to them and reading it on the road and going hey what about me paul like that burns that that hurts me a little bit but paul is exaggerating this is hyperbole It's gross exaggeration for dramatic effect and he's saying timothy is an example of love and sacrifice and prioritizing the things of God and most people even people in the church don't do that. You know, even in the church sadly most people are more focused on themselves and their needs and their wants and their desires and their stuff not on others and not on God. And what's even more challenging is Paul is saying here that even those who do serve others sacrificially and radically those that we might think of as examples are often doing it for themselves because of what they get out of serving. They're not really doing it for God or for other people. Timothy is a great example to us of the way of Jesus. And I want to say maybe there's someone in your life who you can go to, who can mentor you and disciple you and help you in this, someone who you can go to and say, hey, your example really encourages me of genuine compassion for people, of Christ like service. And as I watch your life, you know, I want to be more like that. Would you help me to know how I can do that and how I can have my mind on the things of Christ, not on the things of self? And say, maybe even more vulnerably, you know, speak into my life. Am I selfish? Can you see that in me? And if so, how? Help me to change and become more like Jesus. Paul says that the Philippian church knows Timothy's proven character. And what that means is actually this character of Timothy's has been formed through trials, you know, through the hard knocks of life, he's become more like Jesus. And what's happened is as Timothy has gone through those moments and those stages, he has been steady, he's endured, he's persevered, even in the midst of difficulty and opposition. So there's a lot we can learn from Timothy's example. But one thing I think is really relevant for us at the moment is that Timothy teaches us to not give up, to not quit, to not stop, to endure and persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you and I can do those things as we walk through hard, hard times as Jesus supports us and shows us the way forward. And then we move on to Epaphroditus. Now that name, Epaphroditus, is obviously not that popular anymore. I don't know any kids named Epi. But actually, this was a really popular name in that place and at that time, and that name comes from Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and beauty and sex. Now, this guy's family obviously chose out of their devotion to the goddess Aphrodite to name their son after her. It's quite a serious thing. And this Epaphroditus didn't grow up in a Christian home. You know, He wasn't raised learning about Jesus and the Bible and church and all of that stuff. Now, he was taught other things. But he'd met Jesus somewhere along the line. Jesus had encountered his story and everything had changed for him. You know, he'd headed in a new direction, kind of like we've been saying. All of a sudden, Epaphroditus had a new king. He was part of a new kingdom and he believed in a new gospel. It was a different message to the one he'd been taught growing up in his family and in the culture he was in. He was worshiping a different God to the gods he'd been taught to worship growing up. And I want to say that for those of you who are maybe new Christians or exploring the faith, those of you whose past looks different to other people's, I want to say don't disqualify yourself because of your past or your upbringing because God has got a good future for you and he wants to work through your life for his purposes. You know what Paul tells us about Epaphroditus, tells us five things, but before I tell you what they are, I want to ask you, you know, if If someone was to list uh, five things about you five words that stand out about the kind of person you are what would they be what would those five words describing you be because paul says these five about epaphroditus firstly he says he's my brother and that's big you know in christ we have been adopted by god our father and that means like as christians uh, we actually have a new relationship with god and with other people in the church Everything changes, not just our uh, vertical relationship, but our horizontal relationships too. And in the church, we have new brothers and new sisters, and we are a part of the family of God. Epaphroditus was his brother. Secondly, he was his co-worker, and I want to spend a bit of time on this. Paul and Epaphroditus labored in the same mission. They are partners in the gospel working together to see God's kingdom advance. Now, this is really important. Paul is an apostle. He's a church leader he's a preacher he wrote a ton of the new testament timothy was a pastor but we think he was leading the church in ephesus at this time but what about epaphroditus who was he oh we actually don't know no he doesn't get given a title here a leadership title in the church so we've got no reason to believe he was a church leader In fact, most commentators think he worked outside of the church. You know, his job, his vocation wasn't in the church. So maybe he was an engineer or a doctor or a nurse or an OT or a teacher or an accountant or whatever you do. But he was employed outside of the church, not inside. And at the same time, we see that he was doing ministry. And that's really important because all Christians are co-workers in the gospel. All Christians are ministers. You see, my job as a pastor happens to be in the church and your job probably isn't, uh, unless I don't know you today. But we are all in ministry. We're all preachers and ministers and missionaries and priests. We just do that in different places and among different groups of people and in different settings, you know. We're all called to do ministry. And maybe as Paul carries on with these words, you'll see that taken further. The third word is fellow soldier. Paul loves the the metaphor of battle or war and he's talking about spiritual warfare here and he's saying that Epaphroditus is his fellow soldier. They've been in the trenches together in the spiritual war of advancing God's kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. Fourthly he says to the Philippian church Epaphroditus was your messenger. It's the Greek word apostolon. It's where we get apostle from. Now like the apostle Paul Epaphroditus was sent out by the church to take this letter to the church. You know, they loved him. It was thanking them for this gift of money, you know, that had come through. And the word apostle and missionary mean the same thing here. They just come from a Greek and a Latin root. So here we see Epaphroditus, the engineer or nurse or teacher, was a missionary. He was sent out apostolically to do kingdom work. And it's the same for you. You were a missionary. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary and a minister. Maybe your mission field is not Philippi. Maybe it's your workplace, your neighborhood, your friends and family. But we are all called to bring the message and the deeds of Jesus into our world in the place that we find ourselves. And lastly, Paul says that Epaphroditus was their minister. A word which really means something around priestly service. Now, according to the New Testament, I am a priest. But I'm not alone in that. You know, my title is not priest, but part of my job in doing ministry is to be a priest. And it's true for you too. See, Peter actually says that we in the church are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, which means because the work of priests was to represent God to people and people to God. That as we go to work tomorrow morning, all of us, Harbour City, are called to do priestly work, representing God to our city and representing those people to God in prayer and through ministry. That's what priests do. You know what we see here from Epaphroditus' example? That each of us are ministers, that each of us are gospel co-workers, that as we go into the week ahead, as you head into your Monday, as we spread out around Durban, that we are all missionaries, we are all ministers, we're all part of a spiritual battle to see the kingdom of God advance. And that we all have a part to play. We're gifted by God and empowered by His Spirit to do this. And that you don't need a title or a leadership position in the church to do ministry. As a disciple of Jesus, He has already sent you out to shine His light in this world. But He's saying, as we do this, be like Jesus. Be an example. And as we follow Him, as we live like Him, as we do His work, as we act as citizens of heaven here in durban people will encounter jesus through our lives and they won't say hey hypocrites judgmental self-righteous and reject us but our hope is that they would embrace the message of jesus and the person of jesus and that we would be able to call them brother or sister too let's pray Holy Spirit, I ask you to empower each and every one of us for the ministry that you've got for us to do this week and this month and in the rest of 2020. I ask you even now, Holy Spirit, if there's a person, if there's something you would have us do this week, that you would highlight that to us. If it's a phone call or a lunch or a coffee or or whatever, highlight those people to us and show us what you would have us do. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for the people watching this at home, for fruit, for power, for your help, for your grace. And I pray for testimonies of your kingdom coming through our work in Jesus' name. Amen.